0: Good morning everyone. It is always a privilege to be able to be here and be able to spend time with all of you and uh, looking forward to opening God's Word this morning. Uh, Lauren has given me the privilege of being able to share uh, what the Lord has been laying on my heart as of late and uh, that is a gift because all I can share is what the Lord's been sharing with me and I trust that this morning, that in some way it will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you. Um, And so what the Lord has been challenging me with as of late is both personal and corporate. And I hope by the end you'll see that clearly as we go through the word. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5 this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, But before we begin reading, uh, I wanted to share a few... uh, Notes on a poem with you that kind of highlight some of the thoughts that the Lord has been bringing to mind as of late. I don't know how long ago, but it was a while back. I remember the poem Footprints became very popular. I don't know how many of you, for some reason, it was in everybody's bathrooms. I don't know why it was relegated to the bathroom, but I cannot count how many bathrooms I've been in where the Footprints poem is. If you're too young to know the Footprints poem, It was written by Mary Stevenson in 1939, and it goes as this. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed at many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you. You'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now that's very meaningful, but not meaningful enough to really get me today because some of you may not know there is a companion poem, Author Unknown, that brings a little different slight to this poem. And it goes like this, one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, the walk of faith you would not know, so I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life there comes a time when men must fight and men must climb, when men must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. That's profound to me. And now you know I've got problems. But listen, there are times in life when the Lord needs to drop us on our butt or kick us in the butt, per se, and as we've been reading in the little church on Gabriola Island that I spend time with most Sundays, we've been digging deep into community at a time in life that it seems as though we can be more divided than ever, the importance of that unity and community in Christ. And we've been looking at some of the difficult questions that are found through the book of First Corinthians. When I was with you last, we talked about the fact that there can be this great contrast between my position in Christ, loved, forgiven, a child of God, versus my condition in this world, a sinner, broken. As Paul writes in the book of Romans, man, the very thing that I want to do, I cannot seem to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I I do all the time. And as we read, boy, challenging passages, and I was going to share this with Rob uh, before the music, but I was concerned about what the songs might look like. Because our main verse this morning in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5 is this. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. That's a great verse. But but I want to gain the context with you this morning and look at some strong words that Paul had to offer. And as I mentioned, by the end, I hope there is both an encouragement and a challenge for us this morning in what he has to say. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says this. Again, looking at a challenging circumstance. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Challenging words. As Paul writes to a congregation that had allowed certain types of immorality, here, someone sleeping with a family member. And as Paul begins to address it, he says these words, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Those are strong words coming from a pastor who's in care of a flock. And what I want to look at this morning is the Lord has been challenging me. It's how the Lord often works in ways I wouldn't expect. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I don't always like Because, first of all, number one, sin in the camp spreads. Sin is serious. And so often, I can become comfortable, become content being discontent, or allowing small sins that surround to to stay when they need to go. And here, as Paul writes, He says these strong words, I am prepared to deliver such a one to Satan. What does that even mean? Well, when we begin to look at the Lord and unto the Lord, God, it tells us in Hebrews 12, loves those whom he disciplines. And though we may not see discipline as easy or good in the moment, it tells us that momentary light affliction on this earth will prove and provide for us a bounty of eternal heavenly riches. So what was this discipline? Well, discipline is not to be confused with punishment, right? Punishment is a consequence for something. Discipline can involve consequence, but it is not discipline in itself. Discipline is an action taken for the purpose of changing Your action. And and what's important here is when Paul says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan, he uses the words for or so that. And this is what's so important. It means I'm about to take an action, and here's my hope that there is going to be an outward reaction, and this is what it is I'm going to deliver such a one to Satan. For, or so that, there is a destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I am preparing to give someone over. Why? So that their flesh might be destroyed, but that their spirit might live. In Jeremiah, we're reminded of this, that, In chapter 3, and we've been answering a lot of the most difficult questions in Scripture or trying to gain God's perspective, that God often, listen, would prepare a time of separation in the longing and hope that it would bring about restoration for His people. In fact, we may not realize or we often overread the fact that it often tells us through Scripture, in one place in particular, that God actually divorced His people at one point. He says this in Jeremiah 3, verse 6. Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree. She was a harlot there. I thought after she had done all these things, she would return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away, given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. What's he saying? Man, Israel ran off after other gods and other things, and so I sent Israel away. And when Judah saw it, rather than turn to me, what did Judah do? The very same thing. Judah ran off also and says these words, I have given a writ of divorce. Yet if we stop there, we don't realize this, that in God's economy, this separation, this divorce, was a temporary measure. Read on in Jeremiah 3 and verse 11. Look at what it says. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. And you've not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. What's beautiful about this story? That where God was willing to separate, his ultimate longing was what? To bring back into right relationship. In fact, Isaiah puts it this way, And again, I've noted these down for time's sake, but listen to what he says in Isaiah 54 and verse 4. Fear not, he says, for you will not be put to shame and do not feel humiliated for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more for your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Notice what he says. For a moment, I hid my face from you. For a time, I went away from you. But I will restore you. I will have compassion on you. I will be a husband to you. I am your Redeemer. I'm the Lord. You see, God, for a greater good, was willing to take a time of separation For the purpose, the hope, the longing that it would bring about restoration. That broken relationship would lead at one point back to right relationship with his people. Not easy, but good. And I wonder how often in life I look at the fact that God is willing to take the hard road with me, not settle. A friend in ministry, which I've said to you before, and I'll often say it again, often said this, the fullness of Christ, you need never ask for anything more. You need never settle for anything less. Do you know at times I feel like I settle? God never settles, and He has promised that He will complete this perfect work that He has working on in my life and it's like that refiner's fire when he puts the the metal in the fire and the dross and the impurities boil to the surface and he pulls it out and scrapes them off and puts it back in so more impurities might boil to the surface and he takes it out and scrapes it off and puts it in again god is longing that we might be made into that perfect character of christ Not only is there a time in which he will be absent from us. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 7. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you, but I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. you know what else he does? Here you have a group of people who knew the Lord, and yet instead of wholeheartedly seeking the Lord, They sought every idol. And you know what God's response was? Oh, you want idols, do you? Oh, I'll give you idols. And he let Babylon, the most idolatrous nation of them all, come in and take over and invade. You want idols? I'll give you every idol that you want. What was the hope? Not just punishment. He was longing that in that place, when they got everything their heart desired, notice what we read, Ezekiel 7.4, My eye will have no pity on you, I will not spare you, but I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you, then you will know that I am the Lord. Man, it's when you get to the darkest of the dark place, it's going to bring about a longing for light when I let you experience absence from me and you feel the coldness, it's going to bring a longing for warmth. And if you realize today that there are times in life when God may fully give you what you want and when you get it, you know what it's going to do? Show you just how empty it is. And God longs that it will bring a longing back to him. That's Romans chapter 1 when it says, Man, those who knew God did not honor him as God, but exchanged the, the things of God for the worship and the things of men. And it says, So he gave them over to a debased mind. He gave them over. But there was a hope that when they got to the end of themselves, they might find the beginning of who he is. Today, it may be hard to look at the fact that there is a God who in love will let you go. But he may give you a season where you feel absolutely out of control. Or he may give you full control And when you make a real royal mess of things, (laughs) you'll be brought to a place where you're ready to say, okay, God, I need you to be in control. That today He may let you go through a season of loneliness so that you would know where true companionship lies in Him. That you would not just be lonely, but alone with Him. That He would allow you to get to the end of your strength so that you might find the one who is your strength. That he might allow you to suffer poverty, so that you might truly know he's the one who is your provider. Have you been there? Maybe you have. But I'll promise you this, if you haven't gone through it, he may prepare you one day to go to it. That is to bring you to that place where you find the end of yourself that you might know the beginning of Him. I have prepared, Paul says, to hand this one over to Satan. Why? For the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might live. Man. Harsh words. But when done in love, concern, care for another, and this is what brings me all full circle. I said that it is a challenge this morning personally, but also corporately, because the conversation that unfolds is in regards to church discipline, and I'll be honest with you today, church discipline is probably one of the hardest things to do or accomplish in this time and era of the church. Do you know why? Because I could set someone aside, set someone apart, or set them out. And in today's world, if, if I don't agree with what you do, you don't agree with what I think, you can just go down the street and find another church that likes what you do. And, and I could probably point you to a church within a few miles that would fully agree with whatever you want to agree with. Let's face it. I was just reading this week, there are over 125 churches in the United States that practice worshiping with venomous snakes slithering around on the floors of their church building. Do you know why? The verse that says we can be bit by vipers and drink poison and we will not die. Therefore, they believe it's their evangelical right that true worship should be done in the midst of vipers. Don't worry, only one pastor died in 2014. But anyway, What's your bent? What's your angle? You want to bring your M16 to church? That's a symbol of freedom in God. I can point you to some churches that would let you bring those too. Like, what do you like? What do you want to do? I mean, really, you can find a place that will agree with you and support you. Do you know what? I'm coming to a place. I don't want to be tickled nor just supported I want to be pointed to the presence of Jesus. Not not the easy road, the hard road. Few are those who will find the way. But listen, I've maybe shared this before, but I'll share it again because it's one of my favorite quotes that comes back to me often. As we're talking about discipline, a friend of mine who's a pastor in a church, one day on a phone call I was asking him how it was going, and in, a, in an outpouring of frustration, probably my favorite pastoral quote of all time, how's it going? If one more person comes into my church office and tells me they have a peace, I'm going to punch them in the face. That was amazing. It was a brutal moment of honesty, and I was grateful for it. Do you know what he was fed up with? He had just had someone in his office that had committed adultery, and when he asked why, he said he had a peace about it. He got to the point where he realized, you can fabricate peace. Did you know that? You can fabricate a peace. And I'm as guilty as any about fabricating a peace of supporting what I want to be, what I want to do, and how I want to live. But as... We've been going through a time talking about what it means to hold one another accountable. Point one another to the fullness of Christ. Not settle for less. But do you know what? Today, when we read these verses, set this man aside. You know what? We often take that as send them out of a meeting. And I want to challenge you this morning that as we are challenged personally in how God does discipline, that experiencing cold brings a longing for warmth, and an absence of of light brings you that longing for the light. If we think today that sending someone out of a meeting does anything, uh, to me, I'd be like, thank you, I prefer to sleep in. Or I can find a better church on Zoom anyway, right? No, listen, what does that mean? Well, a friend who had a very large church, and this is such an encouragement to me and a challenge to me, and I want to bring that challenge to you today. He had a large church, and when you've got thousands, often uh, one friend did what he called purging services, where he said, listen, you're here in a large church, but if you're not part of, and there's different, people call them life teams, Bible study, home groups, if you're not part of a home group, then you're not really part of this church go home. We don't want you here. And so they would try to get people in. And in a huge church, they would try to bring community. And so it was in these small groups of 20 that communion would happen. And it was in those small groups of 20 that sharing would take place. And in that church, every Tuesday, they'd get together and discuss what was said on Sunday to talk about how that applied to their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And it was in those groups that if someone was pregnant, Someone in that group would organize bringing meals. Did someone's car break down? They would uh, organize a ride. And, and so these small communities would develop within the larger community. You know what was amazing to see was this. That when there was a time when someone began to walk deliberately outside of the ways that, that, and obedience to Christ, What they were set aside from was not a meeting. And it was not a meal. In fact, you can flip a verse upside down when it says, treat this one as a tax collector. Those are the very people that Jesus sat down with all the time. Now, you know what happened? That when there was deliberate sin in the camp, what happened was they were set outside the care of that community. I don't want to tell you what happened. It wasn't the meeting that brought them a longing to restore a relationship. When they stepped aside out of the love and care of that community, when they saw what it felt like to be apart from the love of the body of Christ, it brought a longing to what? Be back in right relationship, to get Restored. And here's the question today that I can challenge you as I've been being challenged. As a community, do we love in such a way that is so dynamically different from the rest of the world that has its explanation in the purpose of Christ, in the person of Christ, that makes it so different from everywhere else that if someone were to leave or be set aside, that they would long to come back. Or are we just like any other country club that meets on a Sunday, some just happen to play a game of golf after? Is it a social gathering? Or is this a community that profoundly communicates the love and the care of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that when someone leaves, they long for it to return? Doesn't that raise the bar? Man. I'm not speaking to anyone, any circumstance, anything other than what the Lord is teaching me today. And what I'm learning is this. The Lord is always speaking. More often than not, I'm the one who's not listening. And the question today is, man, has he let you get to the end of yourself yet? Or is He giving you everything you wanted? Have you gotten to that place? Interview so many wealthy people and they'll tell you emptiness comes because you can have it all monetarily and yet still feel that you have nothing at all. Has He let you have all you want? Have you had your way? Has it created bitterness or has it put you in a position where it's forcing you to get better? Longing for Him. Longing for His control and His care. Has He been quiet and has it led you to long for His voice? And are we a community that communicates the love of Christ in such a way that people would miss it if they couldn't be here. What does that mean? How does that outwork? I don't have all the answers. But I love the fact today that people like Paul were willing to take the hard road. It was Paul who had to confront Peter later on when he would act one way around the Jews and another way around the Gentiles and say, Peter, get it together. How's God spurring your heart? This is not one in which you need to look around at anyone else other than what the Lord is putting His finger upon to say, I'm calling you to lay it down at my feet. That today, you might know my life complete. And today, if I know His life and I know His love, what does the verse say in the Gospel of John? John. They will know you are my disciples by your, what? Love for one another. Are we loving? Because sometimes I can become a selfish believer in which the love of Christ is all for me. God always gives for the purpose that out of that you might give all the more. He's given you forgiveness that you might be forgiving. He's giving you love that you might love even those who do not love you back. He's given you everything, including His life. And that is the life today that we long to live. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And God keeps leading me to that death day after day, each and every day that I might die to self. To know what it truly means to be alive to Him. I hope that's not a sobering uh, sermon. (laughs) But in some ways, for me, it is, in a good way. Because I need to often look inward at what the Lord has done and doing and ask the question how now is that coming outward? The Lord is speaking. Are we listening? And how today is God teaching you amidst your circumstances? And how is he using others to bring you to his feet? That's my prayer for you as a congregation and as it is for myself and all that we would never settle for less than his best. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are a good God and yet a God who's willing at times to Allow us to experience quietness that we might long to hear your voice. Or those seasons of weakness that we might know your strength and learn what it means to rely on you fully. Lord, thank you that you've put us in a body that we might glorify your name and that together we might make your character seen by our love for one another, our forgiveness, our encouraging one another, our pointing one another to You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You that You are, while perfection is not possible in this world, progress is, and that You are continuing this work day by day, faithful as He who called You and will bring it to pass. Thank You that today, As we read these challenging verses, we know that you are willing, even at times, to give us over that we might come to you and truly know you to be restored in relationship with the living Lord. We thank you today that you are continuing this work. You are faithful, even when we are unfaithful, just as we read today, now married to our maker. We pray that we would be pleasing you and be obedient to you and be found fully embraced by you the day you return as we embrace you. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.